Jones. Love having you all here. I love having our very own musicians. I think that's just an amazing thing. So grateful that you're here, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Welcome. Look at all your smiling faces. So good to see you here. September is here. September 9th, 99. Here we are. So uh, today we are following along with our annual theme, which is 100 Years of Science of Mind, taking it to the street. And we're changing up the month a little bit from what Home Office is doing. Our theme this month is falling into metaphysics. And we've chosen, I've chosen, uh, five of my favorite uh, New Thought books that we're going to take a look at this month. And last week we looked at uh, the game of life and how to play it. And uh, today we're going to take a look at some of Ernest Holmes' books. Now, I know I'm supposed to pick only one, but it was very, very hard to do. So, uh, you know, I have here a couple books, and I'm just going to mention them, and I am going to focus on just one of them. But we know we've talked about that uh, the start of Science of Mind, or how they're saying that we had 100 years, is their start, they're, they're calling it from the, his first book that was published, which was 1917, 1918, depending who you talk to, and that was called Creative Mind. And then a few years later, he wrote Creative Mind and Success. Creative Mind and Success is one of my favorite books. Now, these three books that I'm talking about today, if I could only take a couple books with me, they would be in it. You know, they're like my top 10 and my top 10. And uh, Creative Mind and Success, Ernest really kind of does a whole overview of our teaching. He really does a big, broad stroke about what it is that we're teaching. And then in uh, 1943, he wrote this thing called Life. This thing called Life. And this one, I really enjoy. Ernest is just calling Life God, God, life. So when he's saying this thing called life, he's talking about this thing called God, this thing called spirit, this thing called source. And so he's exploring that whole avenue. William James says in the intro to this book, there's a quote from William James that says, I will call this higher part of the universe by the name of God. We and God have business with each other, and in opening ourselves to his influence, our deepest destiny is fulfilled. So that's this thing called life. But what I'm really going to talk about today is this thing called you. This thing called you. And, and in this thing called you, Ernest is talking about our connection to the thing called life. Right? Our connection. How humans and God work together. How humans and spirit work together. And how this whole thing is set up. This whole thing that we call our experience here in this uh, time in this space. Uh, he, Ernest says that there's a divine urge. The divine urge is the creative urge that each of us feel. That creative urge to do and to be, to succeed, to, to just operate in this world. And I'll read you just a tiny bit of how he starts it out. You wish to be needed, to be loved, to be included in the great drama of life. This urge is in every individual. It is in everything. The rose exists to express beauty. Not only human beings, but everything in nature is endowed with this creative urge. It is impossible to escape this creative urge. Everything must find fulfillment or perish. No man willed this so. Man did not create life. He is, it is something that he lives from and by it. 
He cannot escape life or the necessity of giving expression to it through living. Create or perish is the eternal mandate of nature. Create or perish. So we are here to be creative beings. We are here to create in this lifetime. We are the place that God expresses through. God needs us just as we need God. I think I've shared with you before in the little poem I used to say when I was little that I am the place that God shines through. I am the place that God shines through. We're sort of the portals, if you will, of spirit expressing itself into our world. Emerson says it like this, Every man is a doorway through which the infinite passes into the finite, through which God becomes man, through which the universal becomes individual. So we're a portal, we're a doorway, we're that place that God expresses and moves through. So my question is, if this is true, then what is it that is keeping us from expressing our perfection? What is standing in the way of us being our God selves in the world, right? Well, we are. We are. It's our own beliefs, our own thoughts that keep us, keep us from being that full expression that we can be. Ernest says in this thing called A Lot You, and I'm going to read a lot of quotes from the book because there's so much packed in here, there's really no way I could do it all in one day's talk, but I'm going to just hit a couple points. He says, standing between the spirit, your physical body, and external affairs, there is the sum total of your thinking, believing, and feeling. So standing between you and that which you want to express. So we talk about this every week, right? It's something that we talk about a lot. What we think about, we bring about. What we think about, we bring about, right? What we think is what we create. It's sort of the, the main thrust of religious science or science of mind, if you will. Centers for Spiritual Living, as we're now called. So I can't emphasize enough how important it is to pay attention to your thoughts. To notice what it is that you're noticing. To notice what it is that you're thinking throughout the day when you're at work, when you're taking care of the kids, when you're doing the shopping. What are the thoughts that are running through your head? For a lot of us, it's when you're on the road, right? Where we're in traffic. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? What are we sending out? What are we sending out? The barriers between you and your greater good are not barriers in themselves. They are things of thought. They are things of thought. So there's no real barriers except what we think about. What we think about. It's a story of a young man. He was uh, born to a single woman um, in Saskatchewan, Canada, a very poor single woman. And when she birthed this little boy, she gave him up for adoption. And he was immediately adopted at birth by an elderly couple, an elderly couple, and uh, John and Mary Linkletter. And they... Uh, were quite poor. They were quite poor. They didn't have a lot of money. And, and John was a uh, part-time minister. He made shoes. He ran a general store. He sold insurance. He did lots of jobs to just try to put food on the table and to support the family. And they, even with all of that, they ended up in a charity home in San Diego. And at that time, the, uh, John got the call to become a full-time minister. So he stepped into that. And this young man says they had even less money then. Because whatever the father did uh, get, he shared with the rest of the, his congregation and those that were more needy than he. 
So at the age of 16, he graduated from high school and set out on the road to become a hobo and find his fortune. Right? Now, I don't know nowadays how many of us would set out with the goal of being a hobo, but that was his goal. And him and his friend Denver Fox, they set out. And one night, shortly after um, beginning their journey, they were in a boxcar, kind of sleeping for the night, and they were woken up with a pistol to their head. It was raining outside, and it was dark, and those with the pistol lit a match. And they said, when this match goes out, if we hear a sound, we will shoot you. And the match quickly went out, and they lit another one, and they were searching the boys for any money. And they found on young Art, they found $1.30, and on his friend Denver, they found $2. And then the match went out again, and it was silent. And in that moment, they heard, I think it's called the hammer of the gun, get pulled back. And in that moment, he believed Art that he was going to be killed. And he thought, what would my dad do? What would my dad do? And he said, my dad would pray. My dad would pray. And so in that moment, Art started to pray. And he said immediately he felt a peace come over him. A peace come over him. Like he knew everything was going to be okay. And in the next moment, they heard the, uh, the two robbers begin to leave. And the next thing he felt, he felt a poking on his side. And uh, there was a whisper in his ear that said, here's the 30 cents. You can use it for breakfast. Gave him back his 30 cents. He said they didn't find the $10 he had sewed into his coat pocket. You know? And from that point on, he went on to uh, have two very successful shows, a very long career in show business, uh, married to his wife for 75 years, five children, seven grandchildren, and eight grandchildren. You know, this is Art Linkletter's story. It's Art Linkletter's story. You know? There's a power in the universe that we can use. There's a power in the universe that we can use. Are you using it? Are you using it? Ernest says in this book, he said, faith is the most important thing in your life. Faith. Faith. Do you believe? I mean, do you have faith? Do you have faith? Number one, that there's a power for good in the universe that you can use. Do you believe that? Do you really, when we talk about it all the time, but do you really believe that there is a power? That it's not just a theory, that there is a power that you can use in your life? Do you believe that our thoughts are creative? Do you believe that what you think about comes about? That our thoughts are creative? And that by changing our thoughts, we can change our life? Do you have faith in these principles? You know, these are the basic tenets that we teach, that we can change our life. We're responsible for our lives. It's one of the things about religious science, one of the things about being a metaphysician, one of the things about being in this philosophy is that we no longer can blame anybody. You know, it takes away the whole blame game. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame our teachers. We can't blame those people that brought us up. Because, yes, when we were a child, things might have happened to us. But we're still repeating those things in our adulthood. It is us that needs to change. It is us that needs to change our thinking, that needs to change the way that we're operating in the world. So science of mind asks us to take responsibility. To take responsibility for what is showing up in our world for what is showing up in our world. I mean, there's no accidents, right? Things are showing up for a reason. If we are not experiencing the results we want in our lives, we must look to ourselves 
We can no longer blame others, blame society, or blame God. You know, that was a big one. For a lot of us, if we were raised in a certain religion or a certain place, it was like we could say, oh, it's God's will. God did it, right? This must be the will of God, right? So we would even blame God for those things that are happening in our life, right? Which is not the truth of our being. Ernest said, spirit withholds nothing from you. To believe that God refused the good you desire is to deny the goodness of God. It is a refusal to accept the profound conclusion of the one who said, it is done unto you as you believe. I need to get my water. Excuse me. <coughs> Thank you, Reverend Megan. Boy. So, spirit withholds nothing from you. <coughs> Excuse me. In this thing called you, Ernest Holmes suggests that some people take issue with using the divine power for personal purposes. I don't suspect any of you do, right? But some might think, was that right? Should I use God for my own good? Ernest points out that we have no problem using the laws of nature. And the only reason that we sometimes don't use the law of mind is that we don't know it's there. We don't know these laws. We don't know how to use these laws. We don't know how to apply these laws in our life. He says it's not always easy for one to control his thoughts. It's not easy in the midst of pain to think peace, in the midst of poverty to think abundance, or in the midst of unhappiness to think joy. But if you do this, you will meet with success. Right? He, he says it's not easy. He tells us it's not easy. I mean, when we're experiencing pain, it's kind of hard to say, I'm in joy. Right? And of course, again, that's why we get to use a practitioner. That's why we get to somebody else to pray for us. But if we can do it, we will have success. We must accept that this is truth and know and accept the perfect outpicturing of our lives. God can only do for us what he can do through us. Even God must wait, wait your conscious cooperation before the full light of his presence and power of his law can be manifest through you. So even God must wait. Even God must wait. Lastly, in the book, Ernest talks about identifying with ourselves with good. He says we must identify ourselves with good if we wish to be successful. You must identify with success, right? He talks about the law of identity. He says it's a definite thing. That which you mentally identify sets us up an image of thought in your consciousness which tends to attract the situation which with you mentally identify. Are you identifying with the sick and the weak? Are you identifying with lack and limitation? Or are you identifying with love, beauty, abundance, that which is beautiful? Whatever you identify with, you will become, right? I like Jerry's song. Whatever you identify with, you will become. There's a gentleman named Alan, and he was uh, visiting an animal refuge in um, the island of Maui. And... Uh, the gentleman that ran it was named Sylvan. And so Alan showed up and Sylvan was showing him around and he was overwhelmed at the amount of animals that were at this refuge. Right away he met a blind sheepdog named Mr. Magoo, 
a kitty that was getting uh, uh, shots and antibiotics that had a form of feline um, AIDS. And Alan said his throat just got tight with tears as he witnessed this gentleman taking care of these animals, right? He said he knew he was witnessing sacred service. He was witnessing something holy, you know? And Sylvan continued to show him around the property. There was over 400 animals there, over 400 animals there who were abused or injured, who nobody else wanted. Whenever they found an injured animal on the island, they brought it to him. These were animals that not even the Humane Society would take. And, uh, and they would heal them. They would heal them and either release them back into the wild, find a home for them, or they had a forever home at the refuge. They started to journey into the house, and Sylvan took him into the house where another woman named Susie was there with Sylvan's wife, and there was boxes of little birds, boxes of little birds and big birds, and she was feeding little birds with a feeder. And again, Alan said his throat tightened up, and uh, he was overcome, overcome by the love that these people had for these animals. And uh, he asked him how they started, how they started this. And, and Sylvan said, well... Uh, Susie came to the island when she was diagnosed with stage four cancer and they told her she had six months to live. And uh, we met and we realized we had a mutual interest in animals. We both loved animals. And, and Susie started seeing a doctor of oriental medicine and so she was doing some alternative treatment for her cancer. And the doctor said to her, find something that feeds your soul. You need to find something that feeds your soul. So they started going around to different pet stores in the area, and they would find little um, dogs or critters that were not doing so well in the cages at the pet stores, and they would ask the owners if they could take them home and nurture them, and, and the owners said yes, and, and so they started doing this, and they started uh, just taking care of these little animals that needed some extra love. And, and before they knew it, they said all the animals, they said all the animals with boo-boos showed up to us. We just started receiving animals. We started receiving animals, and it grew and grew, and we never turned one away, and we kept taking them in, and we kept nurturing them, and we kept loving them. And the more that Susie nursed a boo-boo, the less pain she felt. And ultimately, they went to the doctors for Susie to have her tests, and what do you think? No more cancer. No more cancer. That was 13 years ago. That was 13 years ago. No, so what are you doing that's feeding your soul? What are you doing that's feeding your soul? Hmm. You know, we're endowed with all the qualities of God. I wrote it down this time because I always get it right. You are not wrong. You are not all God is, but God is all you are. Right? You are not all God is, but God is all that you are. There's nothing in you that is not divine. There's nothing in you that is not God. It's not made of that God stuff, we say, right? And as such, what God can do, you can do. All the power and all the presence is within you. Spirit is seeking a greater expression through you. That's how spirit needs us. Spirit wants to fulfill itself through you. Spirit wants to expand. Spirit wants to get larger. Spirit wants to, to, to just celebrate itself through you. Allow yourself to be used. Allow yourself to be used by spirit. Align yourself with all that is good and watch your life transform. 
This little book, all three of these little books, are full of treatments that Ernest Home has written, meditations that Ernest Home has written, amazing, wonderful things to just read and have. And I'm going to end today reading one for you, and I've made copies of this for all of you. It's on the, on the table there. Ernest writes, I know that the spirit within me goes before me, making perfect, plain, straight, easy, and happy the pathway of my experience. There is nothing in me that can obstruct the divine circuits of life, of love, of beauty, and truth. My word dissolves every negative thought or impulse that would throw a shadow of unbelief across the threshold of my expectations. Today I have faith that my word shall not return unto me void. I surrender myself completely to this faith. My prayer then is one of affirmation and acceptance. I lift my cup of acceptance knowing that the divine outpouring will fill it to the brim. Today, I consciously identify myself with everything that belongs to goodness, truth, and beauty. I identify myself with abundance and success. I identify myself with the living spirit, with all the power, all the presence, and all the life there is. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Mm.